Welcome, everyone, to the Game Ball Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Schuster. Joining me tonight are Mark Myers and Jonathan McHugh. Tonight, we'll be discussing speedrunning, AGDQ, and its effect on retro gaming. And we'll be reviewing our retro roulette game, Final Fantasy X, for the PlayStation 2. Before we get to all that, what have you guys been playing? Jonathan, why don't you tell us uh, about your your Android exploits? Oh, sure. Yeah, so I um, was listening to a podcast, and somebody mentioned um, what was explaining that they'd been using Steam Link or maybe PlayStation Remote Play, one of the two things. Anyways, um, so you can... Steam Link is um, where you can stream a game from your computer to your phone or tablet. And the cool... Let me back up. On this podcast, I previously said, streaming games is bad, I would never do it. (laughs) The thing is, then I was talking about streaming games over the internet, which... I still stand by what I said. However, with Steam Link, you are streaming from a computer on your local network, on your um, Wi-Fi network, to another device on your Wi-Fi network. And so you that has nothing to do with your ISP. It's so much faster than the internet. Um, you can uh, absolutely get at least 1080p resolution, 60 frames per second, no problem. So it's fantastic because um, I've been wanting to play PC games, but not at my desk where my desktop PC is set up. And so this would let me like lay on the couch and play stuff. Um, The problem is I just told you that you can get 1080p 60 frames per second. No problem. That is true. If you are on a five gigahertz network, (laughs) my tablet was about uh, cost about 50 bucks. And so it does not support five um, five gigahertz networks, yeah. so it is literally unplayable. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was still using it. It was um, Tom. I think you were mentioning that um, this is especially good for like RPGs and other things that are not. Um, you don't have to like react quickly because even if you're getting like terrible frame rate and stuff like that, and it occasionally drops out. If you're doing like a turn-based RPG or something like that where you don't have to respond quickly, it doesn't really matter. Um, and the convenience is still kind of worth the slight hassle of that. Um, so the... Anyways, yeah. so I found out that this doesn't actually work on my tablet after I bought a controller for my <laughs> tablet. <laughs> um, That's always how it goes, right? Yeah, and so... I, w- I was aware this was a risk, but um, I was fine with it because uh, the other thing is that I realized my tablet can do can emulate games just fine. And I haven't looked into using any emulators on a phone or a tablet before because the touchscreen controls are awful. Um, but if you've got a controller, controller. then yeah. that's not a problem. So this is all to say um, I started looking into emulating PSP and DS games on my um, tablet because uh, I already mentioned it's low powered. And so that's about what I can do. Um, And also I, I think the Game Boy and Game Boy, I think the Game Boy Advance is probably the console that I've played most in my, um, as a child. However, when the DS came out, I was like, that seems dumb. I don't want two screens. Can you just give me a better Game Boy? And (laughs) so I never got into that. Um, And then I did have a PSP. However, the thing about the PSP is that it is very uncomfortable. It does, it hurts to use it 
for more than like half hour to an hour. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I also never played many of those games. Um, so first thing I wanted to talk about with this is, uh, so I was looking into like the PSP and the history of it. Um, and then also looking into the Vita a little bit. And it seems like Sony's philosophy or idea was, what if we made a handheld console where you could play PS2 games? And so the PSP and Vita are way more powerful than the DS and 3DS. And also the games are a lot bigger because they have like full cutscenes and stuff like that. Um, yeah. and, but neither, neither of those devices were very popular. Then in 2017, two, hours, two years after the Vita came out, Nintendo's like, hey, what if we made a handheld console where you could play PS2 games? And everybody was like, holy shit, this is such a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's that's my opinion of the Switch. That's yeah. been my opinion of the Switch for a while. <laughs> Anyways, DS and, P and PSP games that I tried out. So um, uh, I asked all of you for recommendations. You suggested Crisis Core. I tried that, it, but it wouldn't boot up on my... Um, I, I couldn't get the like ROM to run. Okay. Um, so whatever. Um, then I was going to try, oh, I also booted up Peace Walker, but that, uh, tutorial is very slow. And yeah. I told you that my tablet can emulate PSP games. That is a lie. Um, it can, <laughs> that is really pushing it. If I turn the sound off and it's not a particularly intensive game, then it will run fine. But that's kind of a lot of caveats. Um, yeah. PSP so, has been notoriously difficult to run on anything, really. For whatever reason, PSP is way harder to emulate than, like, a PS2 for some reason. Interesting. Um, I wonder if it's the BIOS stuff, same as every other PlayStation console. I'm sure yeah. it is. Um, that if you have the BIOS, it's great. If you don't, then it's garbage. And you can't distribute the BIOS. Um, so, PSP. So, I didn't really play Peace Walker. There are two games that I played, and these are... <laughs> This is me being on my bullshit. The two games that I have like actually tried to play on there are uh, God Eater 2, which I, I know I already told you the story, but I still think it's really funny. So God Eater 2 never came out in the um, or only came out in Japan. But like a couple months ago, there um, people released a fan translation of it so that you can play it with um, like English subtitles and whatever. The thing is that translation is very bad. Um, so the whole premise of that game is that, like, the special abilities are called blood arts. However, uh, the person who translated the game translated blood as Brad. So <laughs> all of the NPCs are telling me how I have the power of Brad. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Oh, OK, I see. Not a person. You have, I'm you have not the power of bro Brad. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but uh the thing is i already own god eater 2 for the playstation 4 and so i can just play this through remote play um <laughs> this game is not good like it's so it's a monster hunting game so you can think of it kind of like a more anime version of monster hunter however um, more anime than monster hunter yeah i know um <laughs> so the God Eater 3 is like a good action game. Um, however, before that, it's just the combat is clunky and not super interesting. Um, however, the like story is pretty good and the, the characters are fun and stuff like that. So um, you're really just playing it for that. 
So I am planning to do use uh, PlayStation's Remote Play to play that. The other thing that I played is uh, Monster Hunter Freedom Unite, which which is um, the <laughs> latest Monster Hunter game that came out on the PSP. Okay. Um, this one will mostly run on my tablet, so I can actually play it. Um, also, I was expecting to really hate this game because yeah. I like Monster Hunter World a lot because of how like complex the combat is and stuff. Um, so have either of you played Monster Hunter World? I've dabbled. <laughs> I haven't really given it enough time. I, okay. I, I have not, but I know people that have, so I kind of have seen it played. Yeah, so then both of you are familiar with the thing in Monster Hunter World where the game does not teach you how any of the weapons work, and it's all very complicated, yeah. so you need to watch like, oh, a 20-minute yeah. video <laughs> to yeah. learn what your combos are. Yep. Yeah. Um, so in that is new in the game before World, in Monster Hunter Generations, um, which was for the 3DS. Yeah. That's like the first time where they had actual complex combos for you to learn. Before that, um, you have like a, a light attack and a heavy attack, basically. And that's it. And like you can do them multiple times in a row. And so that makes it a combo. And instead of being about like this complex action combat, um, the earlier Monster Hunter games are really just about like more like survival mechanic stuff. Like, did you bring enough food with you for this hunt? Um, are you running so you running away so you can heal up? Um, you have to throw a paintball at the monster in order to track them on your map. Yeah, um, stuff I like that. that. Stuff. Yeah. So Freedom Unite is more like that, um, which means that it's not as intense as um, Monster Hunter World is. Instead, it's just like a chill out game where you <laughs> just um, sit in this uh, walk around in this town that's cool and then occasionally go out to like hunt small monsters and stuff like that. Um, so I think I might play more of that in the future because yeah. that's an interesting thing. I wonder if uh, if that's just because of the um, fact that they expect World maybe uh, being more co-op than that game on the PSP is why it you know isn't as intense or something. You well, know, I, don't I think know. it's just a yeah. change in what they wanted Monster the Monster Hunter series to be. Okay. Um, because so Freedom Unite would have come out in like 2009 or something, 2009 or 2010. And it was it itself was a remake of Monster Hunter 2 on the PlayStation 2. So um, in the time since that game came out, you had a lot of other stuff that's going to be more of that, like just hang out, do crafting stuff, um, things like the Atelier games. And okay. so people who want that probably would have moved to something else. Um, but the uh, and so I think that's probably when um monster hunter became more complex i think um, it's yeah. probably also the classic thing of if you don't have the manual you don't know what you're doing thing <laughs> i feel i feel like even even some newer like newer games still from time to time will give you that issue like if you don't own a manual it tells you everything in the manual if you choose to read it um so monster hunter world has a good in-game tutorial like a good in-game manual however like it it literally does not tell you all of your attacks like for charge plated you have three different buff moves that give you temporary buffs and it does not tell you about two of them like just literally does not mention them anywhere and if you try to play that weapon without using those buffs you're going to have a horrible time um so i think it's more like the dark souls thing where they're intentionally 
well, not necessarily intentionally, but they make it poorly tutorialized in order to encourage you to like go online and read reviews and um, read uh, like fan guides and stuff like that. And for people to collaborate to figure out um, like best ways to play the game and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Monster Hunter World's built for co-op, right? So yes. that's kind of, I guess it makes sense that they would do that. Yeah. Yeah. And also it's a more of the Dark Souls thing is it's, it's a way they probably think of, making people play the game uh, more than once or, you know, you know, not wanting to, if they give it everything up front, somebody beats it once, basically gets all they want out of it and don't have to worry about it. And the community doesn't build um, with that. So maybe it's a little bit of that from their end. I'm not sure. I don't, um, I don't dive deep enough into the communities <laughs> playing the games to, to know exactly what, what they're going for. But it does seem like a thing when they, don't have a good tutorial it's because they want you to explore and find some things out on your own yeah um yeah that's fair i think yeah another piece is probably just that in world the like what each individual weapon is so complex and different from each other that um like it's not feasible to give somebody to teach somebody all of it in a single tutorial um yeah it really helps to like have them to for you to watch videos um and other people playing to see how they chain attacks together and stuff like that um anyways the other thing I've been play, uh, been getting back into recently is Monster Hunter World because <laughs> the demo for Monster Hunter Rise came out, um, which is the next one. It's on, it's a Switch exclusive temporarily. Um, you sound Monster Hunter Rise is extremely good. <laughs> what was that? I said you sound disappointed. No, You're like oh, it's a Switch exclusive. No, it's a Switch exclusive. That is how I want to play that game. That mm. is part of why I was wanting have been trying to set up this whole tablet thing is because I had a lot of fun playing Monster Hunter Rise on um, my Switch. And so I was like, what if I could play Monster Hunter World on my tablet? Um, okay. So Monster Hunter Rise is really good. Um, it's a Switch exclusive. The reason I was hesitating is because um, in the Capcom hack, um, there was a number of things that indicated it's going to be getting a PC port probably in like six months to a year. Yeah, I would, um, yeah that'd be a good idea. Yeah. Um, so getting back into Monster Hunter World, I have like hundreds of hours in this game and um, it's it's a lot of fun to do to, to just have an engaging action game and stuff like that. Um, all of the weapons just feel so great that you don't even need to. I don't even care about like making progress and getting better gear and stuff like that. I just want an excuse to get a swing around the switch axe and do the morph slash. <laughs> um, and then. If I can keep going, I've also yeah. I'm also about to finish Tales of Berseria. Okay. Um, I was going to ask you how far you are. So yeah. Before, because I'm going to talk about it too. Yeah. Um. So Tales of Berseria is um well Tales of Vesperia is the most popular game in this series. Um, I played it in like 2010 or something. So in high school or whatever, when I was really into RPGs, and I bounced off of it. I just didn't really like it. I didn't really, um, I wasn't invested in the characters. I The story didn't really grab me. It was just like a very generic JRPG story. Um, but people really, really like that game. And like I said, say that it's the best in the series. That's a pretty common opinion. Um, so I was thinking about trying this series just a different game. And then I was looking through them. I saw Tales of Berseria, which came out in like 2017. Um, so instead of this game is the pitch is that it's like an inversion of the normal JRPG structure. Instead of being a like young teenage 
um, boy who is on who is the chosen one and on a quest to save the world. Instead, you are a 19 year old demon woman who's on a quest to kill the man who saved the world. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and all your teammates are things like um, there's a a pirate and uh, I think you've got one or two demon companions, um, a witch con artist, and um, <laughs> you get the idea. Yeah. Generally not good people. So I'm really liking this game. I think it's fantastic writing. Um, it is like exactly a very by the numbers JRPG, um, like in the way that it's structured and in the waiting, the way that the writing is just that, like, like I said, it's this flavor that it's like a mirror version of that, um, that you're playing evil people instead of good people. Yeah. Um, and that, I, I really like these characters. Um, Mark, I think we both agreed that Maki Lu seems like the most fun. Oh, yeah. The the instant she became more into the game is when I started to get hooked on it. <laughs> I love the, uh, what is it, uh, Magikazam or whatever, mm-hmm. and then the, the, the photo changes to like her whole body doing a point. Yeah. It's made me laugh every time it comes because it's just, <laughs> it's just real dumb. Yeah. And I just had a, um, a right before here, I had one of those interstitials. I haven't beaten it yet. I just, I just wanted to talk about this interstitial. And I wanted to make sure you, where you were at <laughs> with, with the game. Um, it's this moment where, where Eleanor is, um, you know, talking about sewing up uh, uh, Velvet's clothing and all. Yeah. And in the background, they have like the characters sort of come through because they're listening to her and she's oblivious to it. And mm-hmm. Maggie loses the best because she comes through like curious, curious. And then as she passes Eleanor and comes to the other side. She's like annoyed and upset with her, the face. And it, it's it's just that character is just written so well in that game so far. At yeah. least it's just she's she's uh, in and, you know, Velvet just not taking any of her shit. And it's just it's just great. Um, I don't know if you had anything else. Um, the one negative thing about this game is that um, it is too horny. The character designs yeah. are too horny. <laughs> um, the so the main character's outfit like for the most part, I think it's pretty cool. She's got like a um, tattered black cape that billows behind her. This is the demon woman. Um, and the um, then like her whole color scheme is red and black and stuff. It's great, except for the fact that like she doesn't wear a shirt. Like the, just the middle of her shirt is missing. Um, and I was hoping that there would be like an alternate outfit where she would be wearing a shirt. Um, but no. So I ended up buying one of the DLC packs just so I could make her put clothes on. <laughs> I wore I wore the I wore the villager opening scene thing so far throughout the whole yeah. game for her. I didn't I, know there was a DLC that might be better. I'll look it up. Yeah, I bought the pirate pack DLC, which has okay. an alternate outfit for her, which is like a um a, a pirate outfit that is like red and white. I think it's yeah. like a white blouse with a red coat, and so it's a similar aesthetic to the main outfit, just um not as ridiculous. Yeah, um, yeah. And, not as and it looks like the other option is that if you do the serving mini game, if you beat the first three rounds of the serving mini game as her, then you get like a waitress outfit. Yeah. Like um, black pants and a white shirt. And that yeah. looks like that also seems like a fun way to play the game, to have yeah. her complaining about all these um, rich people while she's dressed as a waitress. <laughs> yeah, I have I have a set and a waiter outfit. Um, <laughs> nice. Uh, so the. um. Yeah, the, my favorite, my thing that I hate the most about this game, and not even the game itself, is the fact that I can't take screenshots of it. Um, because, what? yeah, I tried every time it, it says cannot take screenshot now. Um, 
Oh, because you're playing on PlayStation 4. Yeah, I'm Um, playing on PS4. Yeah, sorry. Oh, that makes Um, sense. Yeah. I was like, you can't take a screenshot on a PC since what? No, 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 no. I play on PS4. So I should have mentioned that. (laughs) Uh, Because I've got them dressed up so ridiculously, and it's... It makes me laugh, and I go and hit the button, screenshot, and it pops up, and it disappoints me every time. Because I have, I have, uh, reget, uh, you know, the other demon um, guy. Um, I have him with the giant Norman head. Nice. On and, and his normal outfit and just the head. So he's, like, in the background of all the cutscenes with the giant head on, which is great. Um, but, yeah, yeah, game, game's been fun. Uh, I don't want to cut into your time before we jump over, so if you had anything else. Nope. That's all I had to say. Okay. All right. Mark, so, how about you jumping off of that? Yeah. So that's what I've been mostly playing. Um, Jonathan uh, texted me because he had, um, uh, and maybe the way I presented it, had thought that I'd already beaten Berseria. Um, so um, when he started talking about it and his feelings on it in, in a chat, um, I was just like, all right, let me give this a shot. I went back in. You said something about around 10 hours. It was... Uh, where the combat became good, and I checked my time, and I was like at eight, nine hours. So I was like, all right, let me just at least get through this 10-hour threshold, and let's see. And then as soon as I clicked over, I I got a big story point and beat in the next couple hours, and then I was just, because I had bounced off of it, um, where I didn't have the desire to keep going with it, which is my experience with Vesperia and Zillia and, um, you know, those games, um, is that I would just play them through. Like, I didn't have any chance i every time i got the chance i want to play it this was different um and i don't know why i would like to know what i was thinking back last year when i bought it on sale um that i didn't keep playing it because i'm really enjoying it so far um the way the characters are written you can kind of as as jonathan said you can you can see where a lot of the generic rpg writing um if you played enough of them you can kind of see where some storylines are going to go um uh i hope there's twists to them but I'm like, all right, I can see what they're going to do with this character. Um, I don't know what the final end game would be or what the final story, but I got it. But the the characters themselves and the writing are real are real good. Um, just from the sheer fact that um, they all seem to have you know their own personality and lane. Um, that when they pop up on screen, I kind of know what what's going to happen. You know, it's not like they all become a amorphous blob of people in a story where you can't tell one apart from the other um in terms of a situation uh i think the um the the best part of the uh the combat so far i'm playing on normal i don't know if i should be on hard but in these games i really don't care because it's more the story i'm playing for um Um, i i would recommend bumping it up to moderate there's actually a lot more difficulties than just easy normal and hard okay they don't tell you that and there's no reason you would think that because the default difficulty is called normal yeah um if you bump it up to moderate, you get a few more like modifiers and stuff that okay. like make it more interesting. Okay, I'll do that then. Because the combat's been fairly simple and easy. I haven't had to heal in six hours um, while in combat. Yes, um, agreed. So, um, yeah. So I've been having fun with that. Um, I uh, go through and loot everything. The cats thing is ridiculous. Um, and then I found out that those respawn. So I'm like, oh, so I'll never not have the chance to get any of those chests um the mini games have been fun um i think what i like best about this i think jonathan hit on it is just the reverse aspect of the story is 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 interesting um because i'm one of those that probably likes vesperia the best out of the ones i've played i haven't played them all but um you know zillia was good but 
it didn't stick with me. Uh, maybe it's because you run around with a dog as a companion, you know, fighting partner in Vesperia that just stuck with me. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to get done. Um, I think I'm sort of at the midway or two thirds point or something of the game. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that I'll say I'm glad that he's here on this episode, but glad that I got back in to the game. Um, it gave me something to play after going through 68 to 70 plus hours of uh, cyberpunk uh, while I while I waited on Hitman coming out. Um, the only other thing I played, I bought a few newer songs for Fuser, so that's been fun messing around with those. Um, I have, uh, you know, played my normal sports games when I just don't want to think about anything. Um, and then outside of playing the games with Jen, um, it was nice to get back into, um, uh, the, our retro roulette game that we'll talk about, you know, cause I finally got to play it on the third system I own it for. <laughs> um, and the, uh, yeah. And to be honest, I don't know how much of an upgrade, maybe, maybe I just got to go back to the PS3 one but i didn't see much difference from when i played the ps3 remaster than the ps4 one um there there's probably is a difference but i haven't played the other one in years so yeah but it, it was fun getting back into that i get right to the spot that's easy to get to which is you know getting to the end of luca and um yeah yeah so that's all i've been playing i have you know we got hitman coming out and then uh you know that's probably what i'll talk about next week good or next episode that's just say, not next week um i hope that you guys will stream some hitman oh that I seems have, fun to watch I, yeah i have thoughts on it i want to play through it <laughs> i want to see the maps first um and, well uh, luckily with hitman you could play through the same level a hundred times and do it different every time so yeah i think it, i think that's a good good call yeah I think and Mark- i also had to um i may end up buying it on two things because i bought i bought it on xbox uh, because I have the other two games, so it'll let me import the levels. But right now, I can't really stream Xbox. Um, so I may end up just getting three on PC if it goes on some kind of sale. Um, and then we'll start streaming it once I get comfortable with it. So Awesome. Yeah, just make sure it's not like um, cross-play with Xbox or... Um, what's the word I'm like? Cross-save. Windows Store. Cross-save, yeah. Yeah, because some, yeah. some games are. But yeah, just make sure that it's not before you go and buy it again. Yeah, if I can, I'll check it. But, um, you know, the only reason was because IO said that you had to have owned the games. And then the the piece, Hitman 2 didn't come out on on Epic, which is where it's exclusive on PC for right now. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, or I think it's exclusive there because uh, I couldn't find it on Steam. It might just be, it might be Microsoft Store and Epic, you know, sort okay. of thing. But, yeah. Yeah, they don't have Hitman 2, so... <laughs> uh, <laughs> all the people are like what do you mean i did hear that like you can do the import your save from the steam version of hitman 2 to the epic version of hitman 3 and stuff like that but yeah yeah it's still weird yeah it's it's completely weird that they didn't (laughs) that they didn't ever secure hitman 2 knowing they had this pc gaming has gotten weird over over the past few years with all these different storefronts opening up yeah yeah so i'm looking forward to that uh so tom what are we playing all right so I got fed up with cyberpunk and new games and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to start a playthrough of kingdom hearts one because why not? Yes. Uh, Best kingdom hearts game. (laughs) (laughs) I have. So I bought the story so far for the PS4 last year or two years ago, whenever like right before kingdom hearts three came out because it had like the 2.8 prologue and all that other stuff. So I wanted to play that, but 
I hadn't loaded up like the original game or anything on the PS4. So I was like, you know what? I'll give it a shot and see how it looks and plays. And now I'm 10 hours in already. It's amazing how good that game is. I can't I can't yeah. describe just how how good it feels to go back to to that game. Um, Because like just playing Cyberpunk and have it being broken and just not playing well and going back to an old game that works perfectly. And I know what's going to happen. It's like. I, I saw something the other day. Uh, pe- people with anxiety will continually watch the same TV shows over and over because they know what's going to happen and it feels safe. And I feel like I kind of have that with video games because I will do that and I will go back to games that I've played and know very well a lot. Like, obviously, I played Final Fantasy VII over and over and over, and now I'm playing Kingdom Hearts for, like, the fourth time. I, so I think it may be a little bit of that. could be a little bit of nostalgia, but playing on the PS4 where it looks incredible, it's 4K, 60 fps so it's it looks great and there's just things about that game that other games don't have like the the music in kingdom hearts is amazing i could just go to traverse town and let it loop on repeat forever if i really <laughs> yeah. if I wanted to um but yeah i've i've gone through the first four worlds already i just went to agraba last night uh and i i don't i don't know i've just been really enjoying it uh it's Kind of a breath of fresh air, if that makes any sense, because of all the crappy games that have come out, well, broken games that have come out. Uh, yeah, because yeah. they've had years to perfect that game. No, I know. <laughs> also, also, as I've been going back through and playing it, I've been going, man, Kingdom Hearts used to be a lot more straightforward than it is now. So like, I have, yeah, I have thoughts about this. But <laughs> finish, finish your thought. But yeah, I, so I was going to say, it, like, they tell you what's going to happen, like what things do, and they do it. You know, there's no like overarching weirdness that's happening that you have to pay attention to little things going on over here, little things going on. Over here. I'm sure there's things later that will pop into other games, but like it seems way more straightforward of a story in this one. Save the princesses so they can't open the door. That's the that's the story. But yeah, it, it gets way more convoluted and weird as you go on. Yeah. Um. I agree with that that's part of why kingdom hearts one is my favorite game is because the all of the other games have a problem with the story not making any sense and i think a lot of that stems from the fact that kingdom hearts one is like a complete story in and of itself like Mm -hmm. you get to the end and then um kingdom hearts is light and you're like yep that's the whole thing fantastic um and then I think they have some interesting ideas that they add with the nobodies in Kingdom Hearts 2, but then they want to just keep adding new stuff. And that means that you have to change other things so that Kingdom Hearts 1 was not a complete story. So, yeah, yeah I I definitely agree with that. They kind of, it kind of seemed like Kingdom Hearts was a, an experiment and they were like, all right, well, we don't know if this is going to work and people are going to like it. So let's just encapsulate this first game with maybe some, some, things that we could expand on later and then they decided to go ape shit on the expanding on stuff because why not it's a it's a it's a square game we're gonna do whatever we can to make it be convoluted after the fact i mean i guess another thing is that when kingdom hearts came out there had not been any sequels to final fantasy games right uh no because 10 had just come out as well so it kind of plays to to kingdom to uh final fantasy 10 as well because they came out around the same time they were developed around the same time so there were no sequels direct sequels to final fantasy games at the time 
and I guess Kingdom Hearts wasn't even thought of as a series at that point either. Yeah, that might be part of the why it's in this situation because um, at that point Square made a single game and then they moved on and made a new world. Um, they didn't ever do sequels, and so I feel like they probably didn't think is Kingdom Hearts setting up for another se- for another game. But then yeah. this is the time when they started saying we should start doing sequels. Because um, <laughs> Crisis Core also would have been um, shortly after this, right? Like Advent Children, Crisis Core, and all that stuff. Yes. Yeah. So that was kind of the. It was that. And then they also did um, the Vincent game. Dirge of Cerberus. Dirge of Cerberus. Yeah. So they kind of did sequels, but they weren't 100% a sequel. Yeah. yeah, yeah there um, were no direct sequels. Right. There was no direct sequels. There were spinoffs, mm-hmm. if anything. But yeah. Uh, it, it They definitely decided, hey, we're making all this money on this one franchise. Let's let's make more of them. And then they that's I think that's where everything took a nosedive. Yeah, um, I wonder how much it was Disney that I I wanted doubt, it to be a series. I doubt it was Disney's decision. Um, because I feel like they're really just licensing those characters more than anything. So I have a theory, and I have not done any research to investigate if this is true. But oh, so, I have a, so it is true. Got it. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so it's one hundred percent true. Take it as fact. Um, in my brain. So my theory is that the reason Disney wanted to do Kingdom Hearts is to um, sell Disney properties, existing Disney properties to an Asian audience Um, that this is a they get um, a developer that's um, makes a a popular franchise in Asia, um, not just Japan. And then they have give them all these Disney characters so that they will make a game with all these Disney characters. And then people will play that and say, man, I want to know more about these characters. And then they can do marketing off the back of that. Um, I, I mean, that makes was, a lot of sense. Yeah. And that sounds like Disney. Yeah. Being and, like, um, Here, do yeah. this thing so we make more money. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares if the game's any good? We just want people in Asia to see these characters. Yeah. Um, I was going to say something else. Oh, oh. Um, I we're going to talk about this more when we get to the um, Final Fantasy X, I think. But I think another reason for this is probably because of um, JRPGs on the PS2 being so much more expensive to make because of voice having voice acting and more 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 and more detailed assets and um, stuff like that, that they probably decided that they need to start reusing some of those assets and stuff. So mm-hmm. that they can um, reusing assets and engines, so that they um, are having a better return for how much they're making for the first individual game. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's it's also funny because you look at the game and there are Final Fantasy X characters in the game, but the Final Fantasy X characters are kids. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like they were they they didn't want to make them main characters because they were new characters which I thought was an interesting thing. Because if you look, every other Final Fantasy character that's in there, minus Selfie, is an adult and is part of the main story. Um, and I, thought, I just thought that was interesting that they decided to throw Tidus and Waka uh, into Kingdom Hearts 1 as they were developing both games. Like, people, when I, when I first played Kingdom Hearts, I had no idea who they were because I didn't play Final Fantasy X, so I didn't know who these got characters were. I just thought they were made up for, for this game because I, I know, obviously I know who 
Squall is, and I know who Cloud is, and I know who Aerith and y- Yuffie and all, all those other characters, which is, it's also interesting that Final Fantasy VII has the most characters in the game. Minus, you know, I, I don't oh. think there's, I don't know that of any other Final Fantasies that have more characters in there. I mean, Yuffie and Aerith are not really in that game. Like, it does not matter that they are. Right. Aerith they don't, they don't drive the story, but they're in the game. Sure. Yeah. They have a They're, cameo. Right. They have a, a pretty large cameo in the beginning of the game. Once you get past Traverse Town, you pretty much don't see them anymore. But yeah. they show up they show up in Kingdom Hearts 2 also. So, I don't know. And I would imagine that's because 8 and 9, which it's, it's criminal that 9 didn't get this, but um, didn't have any characters that people uh, remember as much. Yeah. They only remember Maybe. Squall because... You know, he has, you know, the gun blade, the gun blade, which is just what the what it's just the what the original black mage looked like from nine. So I think I think the gun blade made made more of a cameo than than Squall did because Squall actually matters. I think Squall and Cloud are the only Final Fantasy characters that like actually matter in Kingdom Hearts. Um, uh, Sid kind of does, but sure. Yeah, that's that's for other reasons. Right. But um. For the, what I was talking about with Yuffie and Aerith is just that if you just replace those with random NPCs, just like random humans in Traverse Town, it would not affect the story in any way. Um, yeah. It does not matter that they are Yuffie and Aerith. That does not change the way that they speak in any way. Right. I think they actually wrote Yuffie's character originally to be Riku from 10. Oh, sure. Uh, but they decided to replace her with Yuffie. I'm not, I don't remember why, but there was a reason for that. But um, you can actually you can tell by the by what Yuffie's wearing because it's not like her normal character costume. It's more it more resembles Riku's costume than than hers. But they decided to throw Riku into uh, Kingdom Hearts too, so she's there eventually. But yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much all I've been playing, and I I'm surprised at how quickly I've gotten through all of that first stuff. Which uh, kind of leads us into what we're our main topic we're going to talk about, and that's speed running. Yeah. Um, so Mark kind of has gotten me back into watching speed runs and stuff, and Jonathan also enjoys a speed run or two. And a lot of the speed runs that I watch are from the Games Done Quick series that they that they stream on Twitch, and they also post all their stuff to YouTube. Um, it's 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 a really interesting thing to speed running because it's really getting an old game or a, any game really to do something it's not supposed to to get yeah. it to where you to get through it the fastest and I think that's just a really cool interesting thing that folks have discovered over the years um, just because it, you know it, it kind of progressed from I feel like the Nintendo World Championship type stuff to how can we beat this game as fast as possible? Um, but what, I mean, what what kind of speed runs do you guys like watching and diving into? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start off the I usually put I probably have a different criteria in terms of um, speed runs. I, I usually put the playlist on in the background, you know, of, of an event. If I don't catch them all live, uh, the ones I want to see um, and just let it sort of run in the background while I'm doing other things. And usually my favorite part is when there's a, a good runner and a good, well, not this year, but, you know, a good couch behind them. Um, it's one of the reasons I got into watching a lot of the Link to the Past speedruns and all, because the people they put forward for those 
communities um, are just entertaining to watch, like, um, or even listen to, because uh, it, it doesn't seem like someone that sort of just likes to play the games without, of you know, needing to talk or be on camera, trying to do it on camera with like dozens of people behind them. Um, so they don't have the charisma, you know, sort of to carry that. Um, so those are the ones I, I like. Um, and then I fluctuate between, I love the really quick ones that beat games in like under a half hour or so. Mm-hmm. Um, or I like the really stupid things you can do with some RPGs to beat them in like four to nine hours of games that should take 50, 60 hours. Um, those both are, are, are fun to watch. I, I missed that this year they didn't have a end of the, uh, a, um, AGDQ, um, like seven hour RPG run, you know, they usually end it or do one of the last nights. Um, just because I guess being everything over zoom and stuff like that and, you know, discord and stuff like that, it'd be hard for somebody to just sit around for six hours, seven hours, you know, in their, in their home. Um, when they're not playing the game, being the people on the couch. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but there's some interesting speed runs um, uh, this year um, that sort of mixed all of my love of short and semi-long ones. But yeah, that's sort of where I come from. As long as, long as the, the people playing it can talk and sort of be interesting and not just have long periods of silence um, in it, I, I find that's usually a... a a speed run that I'll either go back to or play in the background while I'm, you know, doing other thing computer. Yeah. I don't I, know if I you guys agree. have more. No, I agree that you, I, to watch a good speed run, you, you need to have a good couch or a good uh, co-host uh, like they had for this year. Um, just because most of the time the speed runner can't really pay attention to chat and other things when they're doing a speed run. So having a, having a good uh, person to explain what's happening uh, definitely enhances that that speed run how about you jonathan um i i guess i want to start by saying the opposite of what you just said um most of the twitch streamers that i watch like when i'm just watching twitch are speed runners or no hit runners or something like that um the reason that i like what because they well specifically i watch souls speed runners and um the because they have played that game uh, those games so much and um they have so much of it down that they are still able to pay attention to chat. However, um, I find that they tend to be a lot less annoying than like big mainstream Twitch streamers. <laughs> like people are not there because this person is ridiculous. They are there because this person is really good at playing this game um, mm-hmm. and has often has like good insights into games. Um, specifically, the Twitch streamer that I watch the most is Distortion Two, who is a has had multiple Dark Souls world records, at least at one point, and he's been the one to find a lot of glitches. I don't know how many world records he has right now, but um, he'll also play a large variety of other games. Um, and so it's very interesting to like get his perspective on things like out. And so it's interesting to see what his perspective is on that game after he's played it, you know, like 20 times, mm. <laughs> trying to get a decent record before he moves on because he absolutely hates that game and never wants to touch it again. <laughs> Stuff like that. Um, and so um, the, the uh, but I did want to mention that um, one thing that makes GDQ so good is that they have the couch there to explain the speedrun to people who haven't seen it before. Um, if you just watch like a, if you just look up world record speedrun for 
whatever game, the person is not going to explain literally anything that they do. They're just yep. going to be like, um, all right, let's see if I can finally get this skip. Oh, yep, there it is. On through the wall. And you're like, <laughs> how? What? Right. What are you doing? <laughs> but with GDQ, they like actually walk you through what the skips are, how they work, why the game functions that way, stuff like that. Um, so it's so good to learn uh, the learn about a game that you have aren't that familiar with, or at least aren't familiar with the speedruns of. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess. I, I, yeah, I definitely agree with that because uh, I've watched numerous speedruns where they're like, "All right, uh, let me see if I can get this skip," and I'm through. And they don't like you don't you don't have any idea what just happened. You just saw them go through the wall. Yeah. There's no like, oh yeah, I did this to get through the wall. There's no, <laughs> there's mm-hmm. no. Uh, yeah explanation which is why i like to have a good couch which is i've watched like an idiot i've watched the like the full speed runs of final fantasy 7 which take like eight hours and i can't i cannot imagine being the people in the room watching that because me i i get like antsy just sitting at home watching it i can't even imagine sitting in like a theater style room on a couch trying to explain every in and out and every like the step count and all this other stuff to people who have never watched a, a speed run in their whole life. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's my main thing. Jonathan hit, hit the nail on the head for a part of what I was saying is just having the people explain the things, make it more watchable to me. I have, I follow some streamers too, and I'll just pop in and they're more for games that I already know this stuff. So I don't need the explanation. It's just, you know, I like to get, especially linked to the past is probably the big one. You know, learning some of the bomb jumps and all that that um I'm learning to make my randomizers go a little faster. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, learning dark rooms and stuff like that is watching you know people like Andy or um I forget the name of the other one. In in usually the races are a good way of of sort of picking things up of um you know a game you know well and don't need the couch to explain. But for things like you know, you're watching through like some of these really short ones. Like I'm, I'm going through the list right now. Like games you haven't heard of. Uh, like there was a, there was a game, um, uh, Dark Messiah of Might and Magic. Oh, I um, loved that game. That speed run, <laughs> and it was the guy was so great because like explaining that the um in the end game with the final boss, you can go and sort of you get I think the bad ending or whatever by doing it. But um, you you go in and if you squat and hit A just in time, you grab it before it becomes like like uh, blocked off by an invisible wall and you don't even have to fight the final boss um, to win that game. And just that whole speed run of a game I've never seen before, um, you know, uh, that was a good example of it. Um, and then a lot of the uh, the races are fun. And I just think it's a good way for two things. It, it'll let you see a game that you'll probably never play on your own um you know uh through there because there's so many games and you know small big ones really old ones um like they do the awful block which is always fun to watch um where they play just really terrible games and beat them as quickly as possible um and and then you know it's just i it just it, it it's a good way um to just show that you know um a, a game can be more than just you know beat it once put it down never look at it again uh that you know there is a there is a part of it that if you really love a game there is a you know a new way to uh you know get into it um whether it's watching these or trying to do it yourself 
by what you're watching. I think that's what and Games Done Quick does in just the physical sense of the game itself and playing it and on there. Um, I'm sure the next thing we'll talk about is the the amazing money they raise for you know um, uh, doing this stuff um, for multiple charities um, yeah. is great, but. You know, I would have never got into randomizers or playing uh, Link to the Past more than just the regular vanilla way if I didn't, you know, catch an ADQ of um, they did they did a uh, a speed run of a randomizer and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, and it's also got me to play some games like just to see how terrible they are and and just it's I don't know about you guys, but I, I've I found out and probably played more older games um, by watching this. Um, than I would have before, and also learning how broken some long RPGs are. Um, yeah, I, that, that that's something I wanted to touch on is just how broken yeah. a lot of games are. <laughs> yeah, so I'll let you I'll let you touch on that with your thoughts, but it's just it's just fun to see. Um, the only thing I, I'll say I'll go into dislike real fast. The only thing I dislike is some of the games where they can like beat it in under like five minutes for a long game that would be more fun to watch, like a Zelda or something like that, like an Ocarina of Time. Where they do like memory warping and they can warp right to the end by you know hitting this certain thing at a certain point and all yeah. that. Those I'm like, ah. Well, you know, yeah, I was, of time is an exception. That's yeah. <laughs> very unusual. Yeah, uh, there there is another super unusual one that I loved that they they show every once in a while. Uh, it's the Pokemon. It's either red or yellow. They beat it in 0.00 seconds because. <laughs> The game is so broken that they can menu everything before the game starts, and then they can hit start and be at the the end of the game immediately. Uh, it's those okay. those kind of things are fun to watch just to see how they get get that to happen. But at the same time, it's yeah. like, all right, just play. I want to see somebody actually have skill and play the game. But that's funny stuff to watch when you're just looking for something random to see. Yeah. But um, go ahead. I was going to say, you were saying wanting to just see somebody be good at the game. Um, Usually looking up speedruns is a good way to do that, of like find somebody who is good at the game, because they usually have to play at least some amount. um, And they're usually like under leveled or whatever, don't have required weapons. And so they have to be especially good. Uh, But the other thing is that stuff that's very similar to speedrunning, like no hit runs, um, playing through an entire game without ever getting hit by an enemy and stuff like that are also usually a good way to see stuff like that Mm because they just have to be like really good at the game in order to do that um but i interrupted go ahead uh yeah i was just gonna touch on some of the lengthy rpgs that are just broken uh one being my favorite game final fantasy 7 you can if you watch the pc run of final fantasy 7 any percent uh it's about two hours long because of how broken the game is yeah basically they get through midgar and they get to the world map and they broke it so bad that they can get to the end of the game in like literally five minutes. Like it's Midgar plus five minutes because they can they can do something to break the game so bad they can get it. Because there's in Final Fantasy seven, there's still a debug room because they never took it out out oh. of fear of it breaking the game if they took it out. OK, so they figured out in the PC version how to warp to the debug room in under 10 minutes and then beat Sephiroth without actually having to fight him. Like it just takes you to the part where I'm spoilers for a 30 year old game almost at this point, uh, where you fight Sephiroth in your mind at the end where it's basically you hit one button and you win. Yeah. Uh, so they 
have figured out a way to once you get out of Midgar to just warp to that point and it's over. You get you get credits. I want to say it's under two hours. I watched the whole thing and I was like, man, it's amazing how broken some of these games were back in the day. And just because there was no Internet and there was no uh, social media and people like, uh, you know, data farming the stuff to figure out how broken it actually was like because if if that game came out today it may not be as well liked today just because of people finding all this stuff that's broken um or you know just any game like that any of the older rpgs that they they kind of cobbled together to get it out without patches and things like that exactly. so the patches i mean it i feel like the pc release of final fantasy 7 is kind of an exception because that game was like really just made for the playstation and i don't even know why they bothered to do a pc release but um the pc release is the one that's super broken and so i feel like if that game out game came out as is right now people would have said oh the pc um pc just has a really bad port you should just play it on console yeah i agree with that but at the time (laughs) right (laughs) yeah the uh what, what am i speaking of rpgs you know um they they did a wild arms run and the fun part about that was the broken thing was an item duper, a duper you know, um, where they were able to get, like, by figuring out some value, it, like, tricked the game um, if that you had minus one of an item, and but they can't make minus one, so they just give you 256 of them. Um, so he was, like, getting the, because they have these apples that you can upgrade your stats with. And he, the guy was just duping those constantly and just getting, like, attack up to, like, 900 and magic up to 700. And they were, like, doing 999 damage early. Um, that was a fun way to, you know, skip through that game. It kind of reminded me of, in a shorter sense, uh, the way to quickly get through FF8 is to essentially, you know, just bust the, the junction system. Uh, and just make yourselves all powerful gods very early on. Um, yeah, I, I find it. I find the longer ones more relaxing for the RPGs when, like, there's a. I think it's either six or something where they have a hundred percent run um, for it. It's like nine hours or something like that. Um, and that's that's kind of fun. Um, I don't. I, I don't know about you guys. Have you um have you guys seen any of the test stuff? Because I, I watched one recently where they're trying to speedrun remake um and they got it down to like somewhere between like 10 hours or something like that mm-hmm. i um, have seen remake speedruns i yeah. think maybe it's that i was watching a new game plus run yeah and that that's a lot faster yeah that's i didn't think it was 10 hours yeah that was the uh, i might have been watching it early when the game first came out too as well yeah i um, thought it was like three to four yeah that sounds like a new game plus run yeah because it from what I remember from the one I watched, it was like being early on, the the issue was, um, you know, they slowly dole out the power in terms of the materia. So, you know, it takes you a little while to, to level up um, to the point where you can break it. But anyway, um, yeah, the... the Any the percent great... is in five, and, five hours and 50 minutes. Okay, so they did oh, get Oh, that is New Game Plus normal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think that I think I literally watched it like a week or two after the game came out. A, a the GDQ um, uh, Twitch channel um, had somebody run. They were, you know, because during the pandemic, uh, they were doing like test runs, and it was just 
you know, spotlighting people testing out new speed runs for newer games. Um, so that was pretty cool. I don't know if they still do that anymore. Um, like exclusively on the Twitch channel. This was back in like April, May when the, the shutdown first happened. Um, yeah, but uh, so what it, do you guys have any? Because I, I know I have a couple. Um, do you have any favorite speed runs that, that you watched maybe more than once and are just amazed each time you watch it? Well, I, I wanted to touch on something. Um, oh, go ahead. Expand on something you said earlier first. Um, you were saying that this watching speedruns has gotten you into more retro games. Um, and I, I wanted to mention this is another reason that I watch speedruns. Um, if I'm thinking about playing a game, I will often look up a speedrun first to see what optimal play looks like in that game. For example, um, the most the example that sticks out the most to me is um, in Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. The like this is the same kind of combat system and stuff as um, like Hari of Sorrow, Dawn of Sorrow, whatever Castlevania. Mm-hmm. Um, you when you kill enemies, they have a chance to drop the spell that does like their attack. And so Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, the like back of the box says um, hundreds of different spells for you to use. And when you watch the speedrun, they're like, yeah, so the fireball spell you start with by default is better than basically every other spell. <laughs> so you should not bother. Don't even bother trying to get any others um, because you have to level up your spells as well in order for them to get more powerful. So you want to just use the fireball. Um, yeah. Stuff like that uh, gives you a better sense of like what it's going to be like to play the game. than if you watch like a let's play where the person could be really bad at the game or give you a lot of commentary that includes spoilers and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. Uh, but you just said speedruns that uh, we watch multiple times. Um, I already said that I watch a lot of uh, Soulsborne streamers, Soulsborne speedrunners, and no-hit runners. Um, I, the Dark Souls speedruns, well, Soulsborne means Dark Souls and Bloodborne. That whole series. Yeah. And also including Sekiro, but <laughs> you can't really combine Sekiro into that name very well. <laughs> um, those are all really fun speedruns to watch because there are some skips that are weird, but for the most part, like, you have to fight all of the bosses. You, yeah. And that means that these, um, for the speedruns and stuff, they are fighting those bosses way underleveled. And so they just have to, like, be really good and really know that boss's attacks. Um in order to do it like first try every time while well, you're undergeared and often missing a bunch of health. Um, and those are, yeah, so it's fun to watch those every time just because the person has to be really good and it's fun to watch somebody be really good at a thing. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Uh, like, like I said, I like watching final fantasy seven speed runners just because of their, for us. Uh, well, RPG runners in general, because there's so many different categories to these runs. Because you can get an any percent run, you can get a hundred percent run, uh, all bosses run. You know, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of different things you can watch. It's it's not just you watch the same speed run every time. Uh, I like I like that there's a difference in each of these uh, categories. So it makes it fun to watch. It makes it more interesting, especially if you've watched what, especially if you if you watch an any percent run of a RPG, you know what you're watching. You've seen it done that way it's always interesting when they find something new and they'll show you that um to, to rewatch it then i don't like yeah. i i haven't really sat and watched a, the same speed run more than once yeah so so you know i like i like mixing it up watching different stuff yeah so yeah so the one so the category of one that i love is 
Anytime I see on the schedule that someone's doing a blindfolded run, I will <laughs> make sure I watch that speed run because those are insane. And yeah. the um, the one that I've watched multiple times is just watching the guy beat punch out Mike Tyson's punch out blindfolded. Yeah, is it it's just it. I tell everybody to go watch that because it's that game. Yes, it has sound cues and things where you can do it. But, yeah, it's just it takes so much concentration because one mistake and it's he's done. Um, yeah. essentially, uh, because it, it changes the whole pattern um, of, of the of the boss fight. But the mo- the most interesting one I love, and I would recommend, there was one, there was a, there was a Mario RPG blindfold run this year, which was, and uh, Mario RPG, Mario 64, 64. Um, yeah. one this year. Um, he only did 12 stars, because obviously I don't know if it, that's all he's practiced, but it's still amazing. Um, but the... Uh, I think it was last, it was either 2019 or 2018. They did a Mike Tyson's punch out speed run where it was two guys blindfolded and each doing one half of the controller. That's and, just, that's just crazy to me. <laughs> and they, and they, beat, they go all the way through and beat Tyson. And it's just, it, it's, it's it, like Jonathan said, watching people be very good at a game is fun. Um, and especially cause these people are not arrogant about it at all. Um, no, usually, usually they show zero emotion whatsoever when they're playing yeah. the game, which was my favorite thing of um, this year's was the Diablo three run where they break a world record. And the equivalent reaction was like, ah, yeah, look at that. We beat a world record. Like, <laughs> like there was like no like ah scream like, ah, man. Look, ah. Then, then they slowly realized they beat like there was three people and that they mm-hmm. beat the four person world record um, <laughs> of the game as well. And it just I, the emotion didn't go above like a six. <laughs> I, another thing, I watched the beginning of that run. I yeah. now I know it that I need to finish it because they actually beat the world record, um, like during the marathon. But um, they, it's three people playing Diablo three, and they were like, yeah, so we do this because we just wanted to play Diablo with our friends, and yeah. we're like, hey, what if we just like do it again? How quick can we do it? Yeah. Until they have all, um, until they have the world record. And you're saying that they didn't seem like they cared that much about getting a world record because well, it, they got excited, but it didn't like go yeah. above like a six or seven right. on the excitement scale. Um, I'm right. sure if they did it yeah. in person with the crowd, it would be a much more hype sort of, you know, reaction. But it was just funny. It was like you could tell because some of them had broken world records before. So maybe that's why they didn't get overly, you know, excited. But it was it was just fun to watch. It made me laugh that they had such a. They had such a reaction that it went back to the um, the announcer uh, guy when I was watching live. And he's like, yeah, I didn't realize they broke the world record until like somebody just told me in chat. <laughs> they did. Um, but, yeah, it's a pretty awesome run to watch. Um, and what was the other one from this year that was pretty cool? Um, There's a guy that 100 percented um, Super Mario Land 2 and uh, uh, Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island. Um in and under did, like under three hours, right? In under three hours, yeah. Uh, it's it's real fun. He does that. He does the skip where you just ride Yoshi on the bottom of the screen. You got to be like perfect with your timing to keep him from falling into the pit. Um, but yeah, they yeah the the whole thing the whole thing with speed runs is just just go to um, probably unless if you guys got anything. Probably the last thing I would say to this is. You know, just go to the, you know, Games on Quick YouTube channel, go to the playlist. They have all the things there and just read down and find a game you like, watch it. And then if you like that, go, oh, you know, this looks interesting and just kind of get in 
or just let the playlist run while you're cleaning your house or something. Um, you know, and in the background, it's good white noise at times to just, you know, because if, if you don't run into very awkward, um, uh, you know, um, streamers doing it during the marathon, um, it tends to be like at least, you know, good background noise. Um, I look forward to it every year um, uh, to just see something different. Um, and it, it was pretty good. It was pretty good this year for being an all at home. And something I, I wanted to get into a little bit was all of the the money that they raised when doing these uh, games done quick uh, marathons. Um, this year, they raised over $2.75 million for the Pre- Prevent Cancer Foundation. And that's amazing. Like yeah. the, the fact like uh, Extra Life is is one thing, but the game's done quick, guys, man. It's amazing how much money they raise in such a short amount of time just because of the I the, guess it's it, I, I don't know. It's it's hard to describe. I, it's just people being enamored with the, the speed runs and they want to they they have different goals and stuff that they set up for people to to uh, donate to. Yeah, and I, go ahead. Yeah, I, I have a theory um, on this um, from, as a guy that watched them grow through this over even since 2015, you know, watching the first time they broke a million and stuff like that. It's just they've gotten really good at making the incentives and the prize packs and all that stuff sort of, you know, integrated into the community and, you know, worth it for people to want to put more than just a one time ten dollar donation in, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, you could donate five dollars like they make some of the prize things like you have to donate up to fifty dollars, but it's a combined 50. So sometimes and God bless people that have money like this. But you could end up just wanting to drop like five dollars in all these extra categories, and before you know it, you've donated well over that fifty, um, and probably is does a lot better than most extra life in yeah. terms of getting people to to pay money. And also, they get some big donations from um, sponsors they have, like the the t-shirt people um, will come in at the end of each day and donate the sales um, to bump up the numbers. Like the Yeti will come in with like ten grand or something like that. Um, and it's just, it's just fun how they've grown from, you know, they were excited to get over like 500,000 or something, um, to now going to 2 million plus. Um, it's, it's just a, it's just a testament to the people that actually run that, um, event, um, that they've been able to tap in, um, to something to keep the numbers going up because it could very easily, people get tired of it, you know, um, especially being at home, but. Um, the fact that they have been still getting, they got 2 million, as you said, um, this year, uh, just, I don't know. It's, it's just something, uh, that is, that I couldn't have predicted when I first started watching these live on Twitch, you know, that Um, they would get to this point. I I think I want to point out with that is that the GDQ streams get better every year. Yeah. Um, like they, they, you can see a note, um, that they do a noticeably better job each time they do one of these. Um, specifically, we've been talking about how it's really good that they have the couch explain the run as it's going on so that like, you don't even need to have heard this, this game exists in order to understand what's going on and have a great time. Um, that wasn't always true. If you look at some of their speed runs from like 2016 or earlier, they don't do that. The videos are not well edited. So the run will start like 30 minutes into the video. Um, and then the couch will like 
make jokes or make comments or like, oh, yeah, wow, I can't believe you got that skip. That's usually really hard to pull off or something like that. But they won't actually do the like step by step walkthrough of explaining like what this game is and um, how the speedrun works or any of the tricks or anything like that. And so it's just like not nearly as good to watch. Um, but now it's so spot on. It's so fantastic. Um, like you said, look forward to it every time just because they've done such a good job of improving these. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely got a lot better over the years and I hope it continues continues growing. I mean, it's it's they raised so much money for charity and I think it really also puts a spotlight on like what like Mark said, it puts a spotlight on some retro games and games that people wouldn't think to 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 talk about or speedrun or play. Uh, I think it does a lot of good for the retro game community as well as the speedrunning community. And I, 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 I really enjoy that. I mean, obviously, this game, this podcast is centered around retro gaming and the need to play old games that I've been sitting on a shelf. So I feel like they kind of kind of are in the same vein as what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better with with the retro game thing. Yeah. They've definitely, you know, revitalized. um you know, at least my interest in some games um, that I haven't played in a while. Um, and that was even before this, yeah. this podcast. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, if you if you check out a game you, that you like on, on there and you think you want to see somebody else play it, not so well, let us know. We might play it. <laughs> but uh, talking about retro games, we might as well get into our retro roulette game of the week. That is Final Fantasy X for the PlayStation 2. And we've already mentioned uh, a good amount about the game. Uh, we've, we've, we all have some sort of background with it. I had the least amount because I have had only watched. I'd never had played it myself. Uh, I have now played it and have opinions, but we all do. Uh, so Final Fantasy X was the first Final Fantasy to release on the PlayStation 2. It was the first fully voice acted Final Fantasy. Uh, so they had a lot, a lot, of, uh, a lot of things to conquer i guess you could say when they moved to the playstation 2 and uh when they used moved to dvds as opposed to cds for their storage because they had way more options of what they were going to do as a, when it came down to full motion video uh graphics and sound and things like this so it kind of they it was kind of supposed to be the final fantasy 7 moment for the ps2 so i feel like they kind of wanted to go there but we could we can get into that as we go. Um, Jonathan, have you beaten Final Fantasy X? No, um, I had it as a kid when it came out, and I played it a lot, but um, I never beat it. Uh, but I listened to the soundtrack a huge amount, um, so yeah. that's mostly. So most of my <laughs> experience with this game comes from just listening to the soundtrack. And I I can totally understand that uh final fantasy soundtracks are incredible this one it's itself is very good too i've i'm partial to seven obviously because it was my first one and i remember all the stuff so well but 10 has a really really good soundtrack so far as i've played through about six to six to seven hours yeah yeah the uh this game um as you said i think um, maybe didn't have it, it could have it, it, it feels like you were right with the 
uh, 10 was supposed to be the seven moment for the PS2 and probably was for a generation of RPG fans. Um, you know, that this is the one they look fondly back on, um, not the not the older ones. Um, I think that's what they attempted to do with 13. And, you know, that's a, you know, lukewarm hit or miss, depending that's on who a, you talk to. That's a story for another podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like each time they go into a new system, they try to, you know, grab that attention of that, you know, generation that's going to grow up with that one game. And, you know, um, and because of how powerful these systems are becoming to make something new and exciting, it takes them longer to do it. So it's usually only one game a generation um, at this point. But uh, my history with um, um, uh, 10 uh, real fast before we get into our thoughts for it. Um, has been a joke on this podcast is that I do own it. I own four copies of it. Um, uh, one of them I did not purchase. Um, I have the uh, original PS2 game. Um, my um, my sister was getting rid of all of her DVDs and stuff and games, and she had the Game of the Year edition of it. So I have that one for PS2 um, <laughs> just in my collection. Um, I don't think there's really a difference. Um but um, and then I had the uh, the remasters for the PS3 and PS4. Um, the what I like about uh, in terms of, you know, why I keep going back to it is that it, it's an easy game to sort of just play for a while and put down and don't feel like, you know, you um, you don't feel guilty or feel like you made a mistake with it. I think that's why I keep buying it. Um, and also because I kind of am hoping my youngest niece becomes an RPG fan and I can show it to her. Um, we're going, we're almost there. He's, uh, <laughs> we're getting pretty close. Um, have you gotten started on Pokemon? That's how you get yeah. the kids hooked. Yeah. That, that was my, you know, that's my next thing. The games she's choosing for Roblox are all RPG based. And I'm like, all right, we're almost there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, closer and closer. Because we're getting there. She's nine. So, you know, the first hurdle was reading, you know, <laughs> she had to know how to read. I'm like, okay. We skip that. But yeah, so that's that's my history with the game. Um yeah, I um I probably played it a lot more than it sounds like both of you, so I I could go last on my thoughts on it because I would like to hear a uh first time playing through its thoughts. <laughs> okay. So so yeah, so this is my first playthrough of the game and I had no idea what, what to expect. I I'd heard from people that this was their favorite Final Fantasy and I and as I started playing through it, I, I'm going why do people not not that I didn't like it, but like what grabbed people so much with this game versus like 13? Because the the one of the biggest um, complaints about 13 is that it's not open world and it's not, you know, there, it's very linear. Final Fantasy 10 is very linear. And like the, I don't have I don't see a problem with it. Um, so I know I, I know I know like the story is a totally different thing, but. Uh, no, I I had thoughts on that specific statement, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking about this because you mentioned it on the stream um, that the like when you look at the mini map for Final Fantasy X, it looks like exactly the same as the mini map in Final Fantasy Thirteen. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the main difference is that they hide it better um, in like in Final Fantasy X. You wake up in those ruins and there's all this rubble around. And when you're the like actual map where you can move around is like a corridor with two rooms on the sides. But um, when you're looking at the screen, it looks like you're navigating through rubble and stuff. And you're like, oh, yeah, it makes sense that I can't go many places here because um, 
the like a lot of it is collapsed. The rooms are collapsed and whatever. Um, whereas with Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy 13, they're like, all right, now you're on the map. And it's just literally a hallway with nothing in it, nowhere for you to go. You have no option except literally to walk forward. And at that point, it's like, why are you making me do this? You're just wasting my time making me walk. Yeah, I understand. I understand that because you the the setting, of course, of Final Fantasy 13 is way different than 10. You're just it, you're in a, a city and they let you go down one street and that's it. And then they let you go down another street and that's it. So, yeah, I understand why it may may uh, Final Fantasy 10, I feel like, has a way better. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Writing like the background, the backgrounds, the areas are, are nicer. They're I feel like they're more intricate. Um, but, yeah, they don't they don't really tell you a whole lot in the beginning of Final Fantasy 10. They just kind of throw you into you've been thrown back 10,000 years. And I thought that was an interesting idea or forward 10,000 years. I thought that was a, an interesting story element. Uh, it's also interesting that the character you meet, Yuna, knows kind of knows your father. He was thrown forward 10,000 years. It's like, wh- why? Why is this happening more than once? Which, of course, I didn't get to yet. So who knows what what will happen then when I get to that part of the story. But um, it's just an interesting uh, story story beat that they go with for that. That uh, one of the other main characters knows your father who disappeared from your world. Um, Blitzball. I got to talk about Blitzball. Uh, so the first time I tried Blitzball, which was yesterday, um, I had no idea what I was doing. The My main problem with Blitzball in the game is that they show you how to play and do all this stuff. And then they immediately send you to do something else. Like, why do you not play bits Blitzball right after they do the whole tutorial on how to play bits Blitzball? Like, they, they, they show you this whole tutorial, they tell you what to do, all the buttons, and then they send you off to do some BS mission that doesn't mean anything. Well, at least to me right now, it doesn't mean anything in my playthrough. But, like, what was the whole point of that? Like, why why would you not just show me all of that stuff and then let me play immediately so I don't forget the buttons and how how it works and everything else yeah uh i agree with you with that so that um, yeah that kind of annoyed me i was like what the what was that all about but yeah they expect you to play that whole sequence all the way through um which it sounds like you haven't finished yet so you'll see why um why they send you on that mission yeah yeah Yeah. so so um yeah so that part of it you'll get but i agree with you that they should have done the tutorial right before you play the match not before when they do and then I was just because I went to bed last night and I was like, why? Who gives a shit about Blitzball? This was so stupid. And the way you control it just seemed so bass backwards. And like the because in the tutorial, they're like, yeah, just let the computer do it. They'll handle it. So I thought, oh, it's going to be a super easy match and I'll be able to win it. No problem. Wrong. Like the to the all of the stats and stuff just seems so convoluted because they don't. They don't make a lot of sense if you haven't played more than like a minute of Blitzball. And I'm yeah, glad that I go ahead, Mark. I was going to say it's I think the the most of the takes that you've probably seen on Blitzball may not be very uh, uh, there. I, I was going to say not serious, but it's just people remember it because of how ridiculous it is. Um, oh, just the definitely. concept of the game um, <laughs> is is why they remember it. Um, there's probably a group that absolutely love it. Um, I do like the one trick. Not, it's not really spoiling anything for you, 
where you can you can play it at the save points after this. Um, uh, obviously. Um, but there's the one part that's broken that everybody uses or tries to use to beat where you're at. But the way they make it um, make you actually play the game is the side thing is to get ex- extra items and get, I think, one of Waka's limits. Um, you have to, like, actually try and score goals, you know, stuff like that, and not just, you know, score one and then hide um, and then run the clock out. Um, yeah. So it, it gets more interesting as it goes along, but I can completely see people bouncing off and not wanting to play it. I just did it because stupid. Um, <laughs> well, um, I... I- you know? I was so annoyed by it that I had to look up like I was like, there's ca- I got to be missing something. So yeah, I looked they, up they like explain it well. So I looked up like strategies on how to play Blitzball. And when they showed you what to do, I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Like there's I was like, there's got to be an easy way to like beat the AI because it's PS2 AI. How could it be so? Yeah, so good. It wasn't. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, when I once I figured out what I actually had to do. It was very simple and I was able to beat the computer even though they also put you at a big disadvantage cuz your team is terrible. Yep. So <laughs> it uh they kind of like just expect you to Well, the other thing is, so my biggest complaint is that in the tutorial they're like, "Oh, unless you are really unless you really know what you're doing, uh don't turn on manual control and i was like okay i did because i didn't know what i was doing so like i didn't turn on manual control at all i just let the computer do its thing and like it just i put me in a terrible spot and like i lost the game like six to nothing like i didn't even come close to scoring a goal and i was like well how for any kid like i'm sure it doesn't matter if you win that game in the long run in the story but just the fact that like any kid playing the game that like had no idea what they were doing and were just picking it, were just like, oh, I'm just going to follow the instructions that they give me. And you just like literally can't win if you follow the instructions that they give you. It's, <laughs> it's got to yeah. be very disheartening because yeah. especially if you don't if you're not an avid player and and save before every freaking thing like I do. Yeah. Like, thank God I did because I was able to then go back and play it again and win. So, yeah. The fun thing is that you'll find this out later on, because I'm assuming you will keep playing um, a little bit, um, is that Blitzball becomes a game where you can recruit people and stuff like that um, to make your team better. And, you know, you play games and you play in tournaments and things like that. Um, That actually has nothing to do with the story. You have to do this all at a safe point. Uh, So um, that's probably where more people get very into it, is is Mm -hmm. that aspect. You like sign people to contracts and things. It's a lot deeper than it looks right now. Um, it's its own mini game. Yeah, yeah. But the um, but I absolutely agree with everything. All of your criticisms for that, I will not never defend the how they introduce Blitzball to you. Um, yeah. and I don't think it's a very good mini game. Um, but it was just stupid and fun to play when you know I was our old you know in high school you know when this came out. Um, uh, to just waste a couple hours trying to get really good at Blitzball. Uh, but uh, what what do you think of the battle system? I know you you have opinions on battle systems a lot. So I really like the battle system. Uh, I can see how like thirteen kind of built on it, but I but I like the fact that you can switch in and out characters whenever you want. Yeah. Um. It especially when you have things like um 
you all, all of a sudden you come up against all flying characters and you have like three melee characters you can switch them out for your your black mage and your your ranged fighter i like i like that they give you that option because that's something that you know typical older rpgs we've come to come to figure find out like through suikin and and final fantasy 6 and stuff like that you're kind of stuck with what you got until you go back to a base and then switch everybody out and if you don't have the right setup you're kind of screwed so i like that this gives you that option um and it, it's a lot more flexible i imagine there will be a point where you lose the option to use certain characters and things and you gain more um but right now i really enjoy it uh it's um and of course the sphere grid also as you play rpgs today even like remake final Fantasy 7 remake that they're basically using the same thing the sphere grid uh with when you upgrade weapons in final Fantasy 7 remake so they kind of stuck with that formula and i like i think it works um I haven't gotten far enough into the sphere grid to understand the intricacies of all of the surrounding stuff. Like I'm just in the middle still at this point. So uh, I'm sure it gets more, uh, more intense and more things to choose from as you go on. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the battle system, I I pointed out my favorite part in the the stream is that it, you know, it's one of the first ones that I knew of and maybe there were others, but it's one of the first ones I remember that showed you the turn order. Yes. And in there, and then it also what I liked is that it um it shows you how different things affect the turn order. Like if you hit someone with a slow spell, or if you haste someone, you know um how it affects where people go in order, so you can strategize a little bit better, which mm-hmm. comes into play with some bosses if you get if you get that far into the game, um where you have to make sure certain people go before certain people. Um uh yeah the 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 game overall um. You know, in terms of the battle system is is one of the reasons why it's probably my probably top three, at least top five of the Final Fantasies for me, Um, just because it's 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 a game that story is good and the battle system's good, as we talked about. And um, it it doesn't take much. You you get people into this game um, that weren't around uh, or into games when it came out. Um, I don't know if you have any. Do you have anything else? Because I don't want to cut you. No, I'm. I'm also interested to hear more of what Jonathan has to say about battle system, etc. Okay, I'm happy to start talking. Sure, um, <laughs> go for so, it. So, I, yeah, like I said, I didn't beat this game as a kid, um, and I, but I listened to the soundtrack a lot. Um, so I, even though I didn't beat it, I think I only got to like the Thunder Plane. Well. Yeah, that's what happened. I got to the Thunder Plains, and then my disc got scratched. Oh, yeah. so that was the end of it. Um, but I still um, like remember all the characters and stuff, and am generally fond of them. Um, so one thing that I, I guess I need to explain first is that I really hate cutscenes in games lately. Um, I don't like watching things. Um, so <laughs> I understand. Yeah, so specific example, I tried to replay Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order recently um, because the combat is really is interesting in that. It's like an easier version of Sekiro. Um, it's fun to run around as a Jedi. The thing is, you can't skip the cutscenes. And so there's like, there's a tutorial area, which is fine, but there's like 10 to 15 minutes of cutscenes in the tutorial area. 
that you can't skip. Oh, and boy. they're kind of cool the first time. But when you are replaying the game, you start playing and you're like, all right, yeah, I, I got to remember like what abilities I don't have right now. And then uh, oh, oh, and I guess I'll just sit here and like go make a sandwich or something while this plays out because I do not care. Um, <laughs> so the reason I mentioned that is um, what I much prefer is when they have dialogue on screen that you can read because then mm -hmm. you can button through the dialogue and one, I'm clicking a button so I feel more engaged in it. And two, I read faster than people talk. Um, <laughs> so you go through it quicker and at the rate that you want to. Um, but I was surprised that I did like the cutscenes in Final Fantasy X when I was watching you guys play. Um, I think the thing is that the this feels... <laughs> this doesn't seem like a good assessment, but like they... I think it's because they're good. Um, I know that's not very descriptive, but just <laughs> like the cutscenes do a aren't any individual cutscene didn't seem that long, and it seems like they're showing you a specific thing to set up a specific part of a character, like the blitzball cutscene in the beginning um, with Titus. Mm -hmm. I think that's only like a minute or so long, right? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're not very long. Blitzball. Yeah, and it shows you, look, this sport is cool. You won't know that. You wouldn't know that by playing it when you get to play Blitzball, but it looks cool, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem neat in concept? And also establishing Titus as like this athlete, surfer guy, whatever. Um, then also that the um, battles that are the mandatory battles also kind of look like cutscenes. Like um, when you got to the fight against the Sin Spawn, that's what they're called, right? Mm -hmm. The yeah. little, yeah. the scales or whatever. Um, yeah. When you think about like what you're actually doing in that, fight you're literally just hitting a uh, repeatedly to just attack because you don't have any other options you don't have anything else to do but that fight feels cool because your characters are surrounded and at least at that point i had not played any jrpgs where it was not your um people in a line against the enemies who are all in a line and so um there was absolutely no like surrounding people um and then also the characters are talking through that battle um so it feels better. It looks, this yeah. is another thing. The, my main thought on the battle system is just that it, it looks cool when the people attack. Um, and that's not really true of a lot of JRPGs. Like when you guys were playing Suikoden, I enjoyed that game quite a bit. Um, but the, when you're attacking, your character simply moves forward and then like swings their arm and then they move back, right? Yeah. And um, but in this, it's like there's significant animation to the way that they attack and like your weapons look cool and stuff. Um, and the characters have like idle animations that seem natural, not like they're just standing in place on repeat <laughs> as much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, I I also like that, you know, the, the weapons, when you change them, they look a lot better. Like in some yeah. games, like they don't really change a whole lot, but. I like how much detail they put into that type of thing, especially yeah. with Lulu, because she has like a, a little doll or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Right. Um, sorry, I have a cat climbing through my microphone right now. Um, OK, uh, on this same train of thought, um, I really like that the set piece battles like the um, that fight with the octopus again in the shipwreck like that. That fight is really cool. Again, there's not that much like actually to it, like gameplay wise. However, getting to move your characters around as the enemy is moving around 
and then like the background for the battle changes when you move um that's pretty neat um yeah yeah I, the 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 visuals of this game are incredible i didn't really go into that but for it being an early ps2 title and running at 480i it has a ton of detail way more than you would expect from a playstation yeah yeah the, this game just seems like uh, they were able to uh hit on something as as jonathan i, I was listening as he was pointing out the just just they got a lot of the little things right in terms you know the idle animations each character attacks differently and looks different so you can tell who's who i think that's one of our problems in suikoden um uh so you know it sort of gives this personality off just just by a little animal uh, idle animation um i think they um write the characters well enough that um you can tell them apart it's not like generic sword guy and one and generic sword guy two um they each even as annoying as titus can be at times um you know he actually uh sounds different than when you run it when uh you're when you see aaron um mm-hmm. and then you know uh, they do a good job of having a couple of the different races in the game you know you run into and um and just having them be different enough that you can tell them apart um, yeah, this game, what I really like about, um, uh, Final Fantasy X is that it's, it, 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 it's an easy game to sort of, um, explain to someone going in, um, what to expect, um, uh, without needing to go, well, um, just ignore this part that that's weird, but doesn't matter, you know, um, because I think that's why I love the the linearness of the story um you can as in most final fantasies you can backtrack later um you know is that it it, it keeps it's a good in point for new players um to rpgs that it just keeps going forward you don't have to sort of remember what someone said to remember what town to go to which is why we pull up the guidance weakening um yeah you yeah. know you don't have to remember was it southeast or southwest what did they say <laughs> um <laughs> And the elimination of the world map in that sense, I think, makes this a, a much easier endpoint um, for people. And I will say maybe it's a hot take, maybe it's not. But I think this is the this system might be of the Final Fantasies might be the best implementation of the turn based system um, in terms of having the turn list, having all the options you have, um, allowing you to at least when you play the international version, which is the last two playthroughs I've done, um, you can essentially make any character any job. Mm. Um, not like the PS2 version where they lock you into this is this, this is that. Um, uh, it sort of gives you a nice customization and um, uh, uh, you know makes it makes it a lot more um, you know forgiving if you if you don't really understand the stats and all going forward than than most um of those turn-based rpgs do yeah i i think it it shows when they re basically reused the battle system for octopath traveler (laughs) uh so i i think it it definitely lends itself to to how good it is all right i think we've talked it to death (laughs) it's definitely to be honest it's definitely if we ever do an lp it's a good lp candidate for the youtube channel for sure it's uh it's definitely a good good game to play with people oh uh with with people watching um 
do we have scores? Mark, what, what would you give this this uh, lovely Final Fantasy? Yeah, so for things that you'll find out later, and I won't really mention, um, I give it uh, four and a half out of five. Um, it's it, it's it's one of the best. Like I said, it's a top. It's probably the third, my third favorite um, Final Fantasy. You know, it, it usually goes. And as I say this, I realize I did not do this on purpose. But one and two are Final Fantasy VI and Final Fantasy IX. Um, so uh, I did not do that on purpose with those two numbers. Um, <laughs> to, to, sure. to be up there. Sure, Mark. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's I always rank games that are four plus for me are games that I go back to and happily replay a lot. Um, and this one, I bought it three times and I've played it on each one of those systems. Um, not all the way through. Uh, there tends to be a point that unless if I'm focusing on beating it, um, the length of it makes me stop at certain points. Um, the Thunder Plains is usually one of them. You'll find out when you get there, Tom. Um, but the, or I just stop when they get the calm and, you know, um, you know, at the two thirds mark of the game, roughly. Wait, there's, there's a calm in this game too? No, I think oh, no, no. That's the time period. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> You'll find that all out. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, it has a different name. It's not that. I, I, yeah. Um, it's essentially where you know, um, if you've ever seen people talk about it or anything, there's like this chocobo mini game that occurs there. Okay. Um, so uh, that's usually the point I stop because that's that's usually the point where you can start going for people's ultimate weapons and things like that. Um, gotcha. So it's like end game kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it's around end game. You mean um, when it stops being linear? Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> <laughs> literally the end of the linear is that place. Um, so yeah, yeah. So definitely, I recommend anybody who plays RPGs, whether they played a Final Fantasy before, this is probably the easiest one to get in. Um, if you want to check out what the old school turn based RPGs are, you'll have a lot more fun. I would say playing this than trying to figure out a seven or an eight. Um, or even a, even the SNES ones. Um, you can probably jump from this one to those once you um, learn turn-based stuff. But um, yeah, yeah, that's my thought. I really like this. Game. Uh, Jonathan, do you have a do you have a score you'd like to give? Yeah, I think I'd probably say four out of five. Um, like uh, like Mark was just saying, I think this. If I were to recommend somebody a Final Fantasy game to start with, I think I might start with this one. Um, because it is the linearity makes it like more accessible. You don't have to worry about keeping a physical journal of where you're supposed of what people say and where you're supposed to go next and stuff like that, like you do mm -hmm. with Final Fantasy VII and other stuff like that. Um, and the combat system is relatively simple, but it's also got enough going on with it that you can see why turn-based combat is interesting. Um, and then the like the story is good. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I, I, you know what? I literally agree with 100% of that. I'm also going to give it a four. Uh, this definitely seems like the beginner's Final Fantasy. If you wanted to jump in somewhere, granted, none of them really run into each other. Like, there's there's no story different. Like, um, none of them actually have anything to do with each other. But the, if or you wanted to start, they? or do they? they we didn't they talk don't. about that, but that's that's a whole nother podcast also. Mm. Uh, uh, 10 is a good place to start for sure. Uh, it's, it's not super open world, so you can't get lost and things like that. So I, I think, um, 
to someone wanting to try out the Final Fantasy series, I, I think this is a good place to start. And on that note, what are we going to play next week? Let's spin the wheel. All right. We're going back in time again. We're playing Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. I thought at first I thought you meant Sonic Adventure 2, which (laughs) I seem to remember none of you have played before. And that game is very interesting. But you mean Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which is the one Genesis game that I have here. And I hate it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because you get to you play Green Hill Zone. and You're like, oh, man, this is so good. I love how you get it move fast. And there's but there's also like these some jumps that are tricky to make and whatever. And if you do it, then you skip a lot of stuff, get rings, whatever. It's great. Then you get to Chemical Zone. They're like um, you try to go fast in there (laughs) and you just slide off and die. Um, And it's terrible. (laughs) I think I, I want to say that that was our main complaint with the first Sonic the Hedgehog, but well, that's the complaint with all Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. Right. Is that <laughs> the first the first zone is all the you know going fast and all that, except three. Three I think has some moments that slow you down, um, in the first level. But um, you know, it's like oh, this is yeah, gotta go fast. I get this, and then you get to I think it's Marble Zone in the first one, and then yeah um two has i forget the second and both of them like grind the game to a halt (laughs) you know yeah well uh but this this is supposed to be like the best sonic game supposedly i know a lot of people Uh, like it yeah yeah it's it's like the if normally when you ask someone what their favorite sonic game is it's either this or cd so we'll see we'll see how how it goes i'll be playing this game on stream uh if you're listening to this the day it comes out tonight around 9 p.m on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash gameballpod. Oh, well, we got a lot of stuff coming up. Uh, Mark, do you want to go through all of our other stuff that's happening that's not yeah, gameball yeah, related? Yeah, I'll, I'll run through all that. Um, we are D&D podcast, and we should be coming back soon-ish. Um, uh, I'm assuming um, that either um, this week, when you're listening to this episode, or the week after is going to be uh, me breaking down sort of the introduction to the world um, that you guys are in. Um, and then after that, we're going to do character episodes, um, just essentially because since we're going to be streaming uh, Stranger Damies, um, we have a little background stuff that we have to get done before we can actually start the campaign um, that have nothing to do with characters are made, world's done. You know, it's just um, doing a lot of the aesthetic stuff um, for the streaming um, that we have to do and get that all set so that you guys have a good visual experience. If you want to watch us for three consecutive hours, play um, the game <laughs> instead of listen to the podcast. Um, so when that does come in podcast form, it comes out every Wednesday. Um, you can search for it, searching for Stranger Damies. It's Instagram and Twitter at Stranger Damies. Um, and then it'll be streamed um, on twitch.tv slash gamevaultpod. Um, we thought with our subscribers and subscription base there, a good place to put it on than the normal the main Damey channel which is has hosted previous um live stream sessions um so be on the lookout for that we have they call this a movie airs every thursday you can search for it they call this a movie instagram and twitter at the main Damey. uh the main Damey.com is our website um that has all of our writing and all the podcasts live there and stuff like that so it's a good home base um if you're doing it from a browser um and not through a podcast app um to keep track of us there 
Um, and then we have our stream schedule. Um, we'll be streaming, as Tom said, the Retro Roulette game uh, this evening. Um, and then Wednesday is Warzone Wednesday. Um, Thursday is uh, Trails in the Sky, Trails Thursday. Um, and then uh, I guess it would be Friday, would be Friday Fright Fest. And then um, we would do, it would be Saturday to next week. We alternate it depending on the days we record this podcast. And um, Sundays is a, a slasher Sundays or basically whatever Dan wants to play on Sunday, essentially, is, is what that is. And um, also, um, you know, uh, if you like our stuff or you really like Dead by Daylight, um, you can also follow Jen over at uh, Roxy Foxy. Uh, it's R-O-X at double I underscore F-O-X double I. Um, uh, and she uh, streams on days that we don't stream or just randomly during the day um, on the weekends. Um, and she plays Dead by Daylight and Phasmophobia over there. So if you like that content more than the other stuff we do, uh, there's more of it to get over at her channel. Because you didn't want to let her take over the entire GVP stream with Dead by Daylight. <laughs> she she can do whatever she wants. She's the stream <laughs> queen on on yes. on this stuff. So she can stream it wherever she likes. Um. So yeah, we got lots of stuff coming up. Hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, I'm crossing my fingers, but I'm not making any promises that we'll be putting up YouTube videos on our YouTube channel that are not just vods. So uh, be on the lookout for that. I want to mention that we are an affiliate of Stone Age Gamer. Uh, they have all kinds of retro game uh, accessories, controllers, uh, flash carts, pretty much anything you can think of that you might need for your retro setup. They have it. And if you use our link that's in the description, we get a, kick, a little bit of kickback every time you use it and buy something. And it will help our channel grow and this podcast grow and all of that good stuff. Uh, Jonathan, is there anything you need to plug or would like to plug before we get out of here? Nope, I don't want people to find me. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. So, uh, if you haven't already, go watch some AD, AGDQ. Uh, and for Mark and Jonathan, I am Tom, and we will catch you guys in the next one.